Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Sunday with Steph. Today, I have a really fun crossover episode with my good friend and coach's boyfriend and fellow World Cup racer, Elena Sonnison. She has been racing in Europe for the last few years. She also raced NCAA. Um, I'm not sure why I'm saying all this because she introduces herself much better than I can introduce her, but this is kind of a longer episode, so bear with us. There's lots of fun tidbits of information, and yeah, we get to see how these two sports are so similar, but also so completely different. <laughs> Without any further ado, here we go. Hi, everyone. I'm Steph, and I race World Cup downhill skiing for Canada. I went to the University of Colorado Boulder for three years and competed on the NCAA team, and now I am newly graduated and competing full-time in Europe, so that's kind of my life right now. Congratulations on your graduation. Thanks. <laughs> Only took like that's so exciting. <laughs> hey, but you got it done, so that's, mm -hmm. that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, that was great. Okay. Hi, I'm Elena. I raced on the cross country World Cup for Team USA. I am originally from Minnesota and yeah. went to the University of Vermont and graduated in 2018. And ever since then, I have been skiing for the Stratton Mountain School T2 Elite Ski Team, which is a mouthful, but it's an awesome team based out of Stratton Mountain, Vermont, and we have a pretty killer group of Nordies ripping around the woods there. Um, that's pretty much me. So I'm really excited <laughs> for this podcast because I am friends with so many Nordies and know so little about Nordic skiing. Like, <laughs> I all I know is that you guys are like, insanely mentally and physically tough and that you do things that I have no interest in doing <laughs> sometimes we do things that I have no interest in doing either <laughs> and yet I do them shoot <laughs> but um, um, I'm excited for this podcast too because I um I think it's so fun to follow both winter sports that are so similar and yet so different. I mean, being like having gone to UVM and being on the ski team there, like it's one team, there's men's and women's cross country and Alpine. And yeah. at NCAAs, we obviously score as one team. And yet the sports are so different, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's fun to get into the other sport and like cheer for that team and cheer for your friends. Yeah, I think it's, NCAA is so fun because of that aspect like I the first year I started going to see you the Nordics on our team were so confused by our preseason training they didn't understand like <laughs> we would go like inline hockey skating or yeah. um, go to gymnastics and stuff and they're like this is not training <laughs> we just did six hours of cardio <laughs> you guys went to the gym to do gymnastics <laughs> it's just a different type of training I it's know still, it's still it's training so though <laughs> yeah it's so different and 
even like going to um NCAAs, they the Nordics did not understand how easy it was for alpiners to like not finish. And they're oh, like, yeah. well, how can you guys not finish a race? We're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, if I think about it though, if I tried to go in like a five or 10K cross country ski, I also would not finish. So I <laughs> I'm impressed that you guys don't have more of those. Well, a lot of the times you have those, um, you might like have a brief spot, but you're on like the other side of the course. You're like, well, mm. I got to go. I have to get back there eventually. So <laughs> I might as well just finish the race. So it's really just about efficiency. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> like I either have to walk back there or I can ski in the course. Exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. But... <laughs> Um, um, that kind of leads me okay I don't have that many questions to ask you but it kind of leads me into one um what does a typical day of training look like for um an alpiner in the summertime and then what does it look like in the winter time Ooh, um the summer is it varies a lot day to day we I'd say like we have a pretty consistent split across like most alpiners where we'll do three or four days of weightlifting and on those days you're generally not doing like long cardios or like intense cardios you're kind of doing um recovery or um I don't know some sort of like an easy bike ride or yoga or something and then um two or three days a week you do kind of your more aerobic sessions or anaerobic sessions so sprints and like high intensity workouts but I would say like the older I've gotten I've realized that it's kind of gone down to like maximum two workouts a day um without and then sometimes you'll have recovery or like stretching on top of that but it's not the same as Nordic I know you guys are crazy with your summer training but we don't do more than two workouts a day uh-huh how long are they <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they're a little long and sometimes we switch modes in the middle of them but I don't and I okay I shouldn't speak for everyone some people will do like a morning run before breakfast or will do like core before breakfast but um I think that that can lead to unhealthy patterns in training and mm -hmm. that there's actually a lot of like psychology behind the motivation of that and it's maybe not the healthiest actually so I'm not going to speak for everyone most Nordies don't do more than two workouts a day um, in the summertime though we are averaging like I would say average is three and a half hours of cardio a day well not always cardio like we are going in the gym too mm -hmm. um, but it, that can be it could really be anywhere from two to six hours a day um, so yeah. yeah I mean I have seen firsthand <laughs> you do pull-ups with a weight heavier than I could do a pull-up with so <laughs> I know you guys are weightlifting and you guys are crazy strong it's just it's so impressive to me how much cardio and like endurance stuff you guys can do um without getting I don't know without like burning out uh is that is that normal like do you guys get burnout I think absolutely some people will get burnt out and I think it's when they try to make too big of a jump all at once and mm -hmm. so it often 
it more often happens as a junior athlete or maybe in college when you decide, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, maybe quit playing soccer or quit gymnastics and I'm just going to fully focus on cross country skiing. And then all of a sudden your, your ski specific training goes from like 200 hours a year to like 600 hours a year. And then, yeah, that's going to burn you out and you're going to probably not make it like to, to college skiing because this is too much. It's like way too big of a jump. Or if you yeah. decide, okay, I'm going to college and I'm going to make this huge jump or I'm graduating college and I'm going to ski professionally, I'm going to make this huge jump, mm-hmm. then your body's just not going to be ready for it and it can lead to burnout. But I think if you make the small steps over time, mm-hmm. then you get to the point where you're training 800, 900 hours a year and it's like, it feels not that hard. <laughs> This is the difference between Nordies and Alpiners. Like, you guys know exactly how many hours a week you're training. I <laughs> could not tell you. <laughs> are we like, analytical at all? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys type A? <laughs> no one <laughs> Um, I, okay. So it's kind of the same, like, progression, I guess, with burnout stuff. Like, in yeah. the jump from, um, like, junior racing to collegiate to world cup or professional in alpine is kind of the same like it took me probably until this year after leaving school to fully be like the fitness level that i should be to be a world cup skier which Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe like do you guys do nordies understand that difference because i think for alpiners like i had no idea how different my strength needed to be just going from like a NORAM or college level to professional. Yeah, I think um, I think it depends on the individual. Some people can make that jump pretty flawlessly and others struggle with it a lot more. Or maybe they, they have their first World Cup start and they absolutely crush it and it's amazing. And then the next year they get to be racing the whole World Cup season and they get totally burnt out and they're like, whoa, this is not what I thought I was in for. And I don't actually have like this. There's like a whole new level of fitness here that I don't have. Um, And so I think it's it's totally depends on the individual and it looks different for everyone. Yeah. Um, That's. The differences are very interesting to me as far as training goes. Yeah. Like that's, I think, well, okay, there no, there's a lot of differences between the two sports. <laughs> but to me, that's like the easiest one to see from the outside. Like um, you guys, I think like Alpine, I wouldn't say from a young age, I was taught that working out like my physical training was going to be so important for my skiing it kind of came in like when I was 16 or 15, then I started understanding it more, but like Nordic, it takes so long for you guys to build that you're like aerobic capacity, right? That's like the biggest Mm -hmm. thing in endurance sports. It takes like decades. I mean, they say that female, female athletes won't, female endurance athletes will not peak until they're 30 years old. And so if you're trying to like, race on a world cup when you're 19 
yeah, that's probably not going to be the best indicator of like how fast you really can be in the end. Um, mm -hmm. I think for men, endurance athletes peak more at the age of like 26 or 28, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it all depends on building that aerobic capacity and uh, that takes years and years and years to get to like the max capacity that your body can handle. Okay. Do, does like the U S team and professional teams in the U S or like, I guess everywhere, do they, do they like make that known to you when you're a young athlete? Like, do they tell you that, Hey, like <laughs> you might not be your best for another 10 years. Do they care about that? Um, I think kind of, I guess I don't know. I mean, I'm 27. It's been a while since I was a junior, so I'm not really sure what they're telling those kids these days. <laughs> um, but I, um, I know that when I was a junior, I would go to like these national elite group camps or even regional elite group camps, and they would try to provide that information for you of, you know, this is what it takes to be a World Cup skier, or mm -hmm. this is what like the Norwegians are doing and not to say that you should just jump into that and go for it and take your 200 hours and jump to 600 hours as a 16 year old yeah. but I think there is a little bit of that message within the Nordic ski community at the younger age granted that is still at like more of the elite junior level I don't mm -hmm. I don't know what happens like at the basic club level or um you know when you're 14 and you're just like joining your high school team for the first yeah. time I don't know if that information is readily <laughs> communicated with them right. but um, yeah do you feel like there needs to be more of that type of um awareness on the alpine side of like hey if you want to be a world cup skier you have to get really effing strong right now yeah, I also think that there's just way too much of a emphasis on your age in Alpine. Like they, I don't know, they're so focused on athletes performing when they're still juniors and that being like the benchmark for if they're going to be successful athletes. And ultimately, like I am 26 and I'm on the speed circuit and there's I'm like middle to young end of the scale. So, and I think that it's becoming more and more like you can push your career longer in uh, the speed disciplines for sure. But yeah, I just don't think that, especially for girls, it takes us so much longer to build that like strength. And mm -hmm. yeah, obviously there's phenoms and there's like the exceptions who can do it when they're young, but I didn't start like fully putting on the weight and this like strength that I needed to until I was in my 20s. So I do yeah. wish that age wasn't such a like defining factor because ultimately who cares? Like if you're podiuming and you're in your 30s, you're still getting those podiums. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're 19. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you have to make if you want to be that 30 year old podiuming you have to sustain it until you're in your 30s and I think exactly. that that's a huge issue of like the longevity of the sport of your own personal sport journey and mm -hmm. and creating a lifestyle that is sustainable especially if you're not like 
the top of the top. You know, you're not the Michaela's, you're not the Jesse's of the sport. And instead you have mm -hmm. to kind of figure out like, how can I support myself? How can I sustain this lifestyle? How can I, you know, maintain happiness when this yeah. sport is kind of all consuming? Um, and I think that's a huge part probably for both of our sports. This is maybe a similarity um, of like, it takes a long time to get there and yeah. it takes a lot of like mental strength and and su a support system to get there too. Yeah. Um, do you, because we're both North Americans living in Europe full time and like one of the best parts about Alpine I would say is that yeah we work really hard in training and we race but we also are able to kind of enjoy ourselves over here and like try to have a bit of a work-life balance like do you because with Nordic it's obviously your guys sport is a lot more like health dependent you are like on a much stricter schedule I would say just generally like does that weigh on you being away from home yeah, I think, well, I see kind of two parts to that. Yes, it totally weighs on me being away from home and being away from what I would call my support system. So you know, my parents, my siblings, my closest friends, they're not over here with me. And the team is here and I have that support system, but it isn't, they aren't my go-to. Like, yeah, they aren't my go-to people. They're there in an emergency if I need something and they're there to, you know, work together and be a team but it's not like when I retire from this sport I'm gonna go back to my home support system mm -hmm. and those are the people who I know will, will always be there for me um yeah. but then the other part of that question I think is um like the the work-life balance I guess while we're over here in Europe all winter and it's definitely something that I've been working on because <laughs> Um, the first couple of seasons over here, it was just all ski racing or going to training camp. If there was a break in the season, then you were just going straight to the next training camp. Yeah. And um, last year, specifically, I got really burnt out. I raced every single World Cup from, you know, November, December, January into February. And yeah. I didn't take a break. And God. then I was like crashing. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. And, and I had to take basically a week completely off. Thomas and I went to Verona, Italy, where there is no snow. There yeah. was, I brought my running shoes and I was like, oh, I'll probably run every single day. Nope, did not touch my running shoes. And I took like four or five days completely off, which is totally like, so good. unheard of in the Nordic world to do that or to go to go to a place like, oh, there's no snow. Like no one else was doing that. And so um, I found it really valuable for me last year to take that time yeah um but I know that a lot of people would not like that at all a lot of nordies would not like that yeah. um so again I think it it depends on the the individual but um I do appreciate the way that you as an albiner maybe I don't want to generalize but like you guys try to find that balance and make sure that you have, you know, your, your four days of training and then you take like two days off and you go yeah. to Zurich or you go somewhere and like check out and just can kind of recalibrate everything. Yeah. 
I don't know about you, but when I first started racing over here in Europe, I had such bad imposter syndrome because I think that like ski racing in general is such a European sport. Like they're just so dominant in it. They grow up loving it. And then being a Canadian living over here, anytime I had off, I felt like I had to be like going to the gym. I had to go find more (laughs) training. Like I was like, I can't take any days off when I'm over here. Like I'm behind almost. (laughs) Um, And then the more time I've spent over here, I'm like, oh, wow. All of these European racers like go to the race and then they get to go home for a day or two days. Like they have such a more natural flow of things. So I think it's really good that I hope that it's good for you. I mean, (laughs) I know that Nordic is so different as far as like physical demanding goes, but um, it's definitely nice for like me to have come to that realization where I don't need to be constantly on my toes over here. Like I can treat it kind of like I'm at home and I'm going to my races. And then even though I'm not getting to go home, I can go tour somewhere. I can go like enjoy myself rather than being on edge all the time yeah I think that a lot of that also maybe has to do with building out a community for yourself in Europe Mm -hmm. because at least for me this is you know my fifth year racing world cup granted those first couple of years I was not over here for the entire season but Mm -hmm. I would come over for like a month or two at a time yeah and even even last year I wasn't here the entire season like I did end up going home for two weeks in the middle of it um but in the last two years I feel like I have been able to build myself more of a community so that when there is maybe a week off or like I need to go check out for a little bit I have somewhere to go or something to do or people to be with that aren't just like more Nordies or (laughs) yes Okay. I actually have such a good segue on this because this is something that I talk to like the girls on the circuit about a lot, but how do you also, if you were only here to listen to us talk about training and our lives, you could probably skip this part, but (laughs) 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 how do you balance like having, cause you have a boyfriend who happens to be my coach. (laughs) Um, How do you balance like training racing being a nordy who like has to be pretty tuned in with their body and also trying to manage a like long distance relationship in a place that's not your home <laughs> oh man yeah i know <laughs> for I reference don't know. <laughs> for like just so people get an idea of this elena and thomas like you guys have been together for a couple of years now and thomas is on the road with me full time which is hilarious because like I'm friends with Elena too yeah but I like sometimes he'll talk to me and be like yeah it would be really nice if I could go watch like Elena's race or if I could go here with Elena (laughs) I'm like yep I know (laughs) (laughs) so he definitely feels that too but I am so curious how you make it work I mean I think that if you find someone that you want to prioritize in your life then you have to be willing to put that effort into it and probably Mm -hmm. sacrifice some too. And so I think that one thing that we have been able to do really well is um, put in that extra sacrifice. And so, um, for example, like I have, you know, left the 
cross country team and come to hang out with the Alpiners for a couple of days in the middle of the season. And I usually try to find um, cross country skiing in the area that I can go do on my own. But like, I would rather spend four days, maybe it's not perfect training or perfect recovery or perfect preparation for the next race, but it's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make because I care about that person. And um, I know that he's been able to do that as well. Or, you know, there's been some really long central Europe drives where he's going from like one of your races to one of my races. And, um, and so I really appreciate the fact that we can both kind of try to make those sacrifices and prioritize that. But I think that if you're trying to be a world cup athlete, train race recover Mm -hmm. and have someone like that in your life and you're not willing to sacrifice then I think that you're going to have a really hard time figuring out how to navigate that totally it's do you think that it helps that he is like he was an alpine racer and now he's kind of in the alpine world or yeah you think that's easier than if he was in the nordic world or do you think that that would have been better Uh, Honestly, I think it's a perfect situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's and I'm very, I'm very grateful for it because he understands the lifestyle for the most part. Like, yeah, you know, neither of us are working a nine to five. And so yeah. he gets it that we're working on the weekends or like, you know, it's we have crazy schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if he were a Nordic skier, then, well, I'm type A and he's type B. And if he were type A, <laughs> oh, God. it might not work. <laughs> okay. We balanced each other out really well. So <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I do think that it's really important to have someone who like understands the lifestyle because mm-hmm. yeah, it's just so unique. Like we have all been basically living away from home since we were like in our teens. Um, and then we have had to make relationships and the relationships that have survived that long for us, like through our whole lives are the ones where they know what we're doing and they're okay with that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. If they're not okay with it, then it's probably not going to last very long. Right. And they're probably okay with maybe not hearing from you for like four months. And yes. then <laughs> like four months later, they're like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. Like has time passed? I don't know. It's the same relationship yeah. as where you dropped off. And so, um, I think those are absolutely the people that you know are like going to be there with you through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. I am quite curious what the like is there a lot of camaraderie between the racers like on your on the Nordic circuit between the girls like within nations within country yeah like no like, like yeah within uh like for everyone. <laughs> between countries that's what I meant okay between countries countries. yeah yeah um yeah I think I believe so um and I think that I it's funny I am like a weird combination of an introvert and extrovert and so once Mm -hmm. I once I get to know someone I feel like I'm way more extroverted and like can let my guard down and I'm so just like excited to be social and yeah be me but if I don't know someone, then I'm very much so an introvert and it's harder for me to just like break a 
break into a new relationship or something. Um, so that being said, I try to make friends on the World Cup circuit, but I'm often intimidated or too shy to do so. Um, yeah. But I will say, I think I've I've started to come around, and I think that for the most part, a lot of, there is camaraderie. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely, like on race day, it's business, and it's yeah. like all business especially like until the end of the race and then maybe we can be friends again after the race (laughs) yeah um but when we're training I think there and I think that it's uh improving like there's becoming more camaraderie amongst the teams than maybe there had been five years ago when I first started being on the circuit but what do you think on the alpine side alpine I mean my all my recent experiences are in speed and I like it's so unique where we have training runs and I'd say that those days are really great for socializing because it's a little bit less stress everyone's in the same place still like you can grab a coffee after training or something or um, even up on the hill like you kind of interact more so I think that like from my perspective there's a ton of mingling between the teams and there's a lot of friendships between national teams and different athletes. Like that's, I mean, I'm independent and I'm on my own. So <laughs> those are the only friends that I have really are from other teams, but yeah, it is the same as you guys, like on race day, it is much more like tunnel vision. Everyone is very focused and very much like we can be friends tomorrow <laughs> yeah. or tonight, mm-hmm. but for the next three hours like until we race it's gonna be kind of everyone man for themselves which I really like I think it's really cool to be like have be able to be friends with the people that you're also competing with on a regular basis yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I think that one it's more enjoyable <laughs> it definitely makes it more enjoyable yeah um and I I think that um the cross-country side could be better at that I think it's, I think we are getting better, but there's still a ways to go of like being better friends with other countries. Um, I will say that it is maybe easier for us if we are able to uh, let our guard down to during training, yeah, socialize because we'll go out and if it's just like an easy distance ski, then we can have conversations with, you know, the French team or the Italian team or the Norwegians and it's like, um, you might ski with them for like 20 minutes and have a conversation or you might ski with them for two hours and you like yeah. really are getting into it um, rather than I feel like when you guys are training you're like up and down on a chairlift and maybe yeah. you like can ride a chairlift but together but then like 30 minutes later you're not on the same one and it's a little yeah. more broken up <laughs> no that's totally true do you guys train together regularly like in the season I'd imagine um not regularly I would say like but, before a race um, maybe yeah yeah it, it happens for sure um and again I think it's it's happening more and more often um mm. there have been more uh romances so that definitely <laughs> helps <laughs> break down walls do you guys is are all the men and women in the same place <clears throat> for races yeah that is something so different from Alpine yeah. to cross country is that men and women travel and sprint and distance travel to the same circuit all the time. Wow. Um, and I know that that's totally different for you guys. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we ours is split up by discipline and gender. So I will like not even see my slalom girlfriends for the entire season. Yeah. It's so bizarre. That's so sad. I know it's crazy. Like you grow up racing kind of in norms, like everything's always together. Um, men and women are together at the start and end of the year. And then you get to World Cup and all of a sudden it's like this really tiny pool of people, which honestly makes it easier to become close with everyone. But also yeah. it's kind of sad. Like there's just no overlap except for at finals. Yeah. Do you feel but, like, can there be like during like training blocks at all? Yeah, sometimes. I mean honestly most of the training that we do in the season is with other like speed national teams um because we're all kind of going to the same areas to train before the races and there's also limited mountains or air venues Mm -hmm. that you can train speed at but you there's a little more overlap um but kind of like you said at training it's like (laughs) you'll see someone at the bottom of your run or at the top but unless you're on the same cycle as them, you don't actually see them. And um, I know I make it seem like there's a lot of time in the afternoons to like hang out. But, uh, <laughs> it only happens once or twice during a whatever week camp. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Do you feel uh, like you're able to like create that community for yourself over here? I mean, this is what your third year kind of like being based out of Europe for the winter. Yeah. So this is, yeah, this is kind of my second full year um yeah my three years ago I was doing the back and forth which was so chaotic and just Mm -hmm. exhausting as I'm sure you know um but yeah I think that last year was huge for me in making friends and connecting with the girls on the circuit and also just like really embracing the fact that like Thomas and whoever's doing my skis like right now Nico they're kind of like my people all the time because I'm literally with them 24 seven. And when I'm on my own, like when we're training on our own, it's just us. Um, Mm -hmm. But I will say like the girls have been amazing on the other teams. They're all super inviting and um, encourage me to like do things with them, even though they, I know I'm not part of their team. It's nice to kind of have that opening and everyone's very welcoming, but yeah. Are you That's doing nice. okay? Elena yeah, no, I just NK World Cup this morning. <laughs> as you're texting me, or as sorry, as you're talking about like um your tech, Nico, um it reminded me that my tech had texted me about what skis <laughs> he's supposed to prep for me tomorrow. And so I had to I had to really had to do that quickly. But I think that's a difference also is that like um and I don't know, maybe this is because you are more of an independent athlete, but for the U.S. cross-country team, we not only travel with all of our athletes and coaches mm-hmm. and PTs, but also the technicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, I think, seven or eight technicians with the team, and they kind of go do their own thing. Like they aren't, you know, you said that Thomas and Nico are like your people. You're with mm-hmm. them 24/7, and that's not the case for us. So. I oftentimes won't even see my technician except for when he's handing me skis, like in the in the morning before a training day or before a race day. Um, And then we'll we'll like sometimes he'll ski with me, sometimes he won't because he's prepping skis for other people. Um, But I think that 
part looks very different. And um, they also have their own wax truck and Mm -hmm. the wax truck travels from venue to venue. So it's not like we're staying in a hotel and the technicians are working in the ski room in the basement. Instead, they're working up at the venue where the truck is. And Mm -hmm. so they aren't like running inside for lunch and eating with us and then going back. You know, they, they kind of go up there in the morning and they don't come back until evening. So also, that's how many pairs of skis are they doing a day? <laughs> um, depends on who you are. Depends on what you're doing. Oh, <laughs> Tomorrow, I am doing an easy ski, and my technician will prepare one pair of skis. <laughs> um, <laughs> on a race however, day, though, how many on average? On average, it's probably four. Per athlete? Per athlete, yeah. Three or yeah. four, I would say. Um, it, it depends. Yeah, maybe Jesse gets more than that, but um, I would say three to four. Today, I had two um, because I had tested some yesterday also, and conditions weren't really changing too much. So uh, I just tested between the two. How many will will Nico prepare for you on race day? On race day, it depends if we've had training runs, like more than one training run. where we can test skis and wax and stuff, but generally they'll only have like your warm up skis. Okay, actually I'm kind of high maintenance. Um on down <laughs> on downhill days, I like to have, especially for the first training run, um, like three pairs of skis, one GS that I can inspect on, a super G to warm up on, and then the downhills to train on. But on like a regular race day, just the two, like the one race ski and the one warm up ski. Um, yeah, which is, I mean, if we don't have a chance to test skis though, they'll generally do more than one just to, mm-hmm. in case the temperature is different than they think or whatever. If it snows a lot overnight, they don't know necessarily yeah. what's waiting for us out there. Well, what's crazy, what I just kind of learned really like last year, I feel like, as I spent more time with um, team Steph and Trish, (laughs) (laughs) Um, was how much like tuning goes into the ski preparation rather than waxing. And so for the cross country, like it's pretty much just waxing. And I shouldn't say just because there's (laughs) so much that goes into it and our techs get, they like nerd out over it, which is awesome. And we are very (laughs) thankful for them for it. But um, that's like, their their focus versus for you guys there's like oh we're gonna like tighten the heel a little bit or move the (laughs) binding back and forth and like I don't know like your toes is gonna be in a different position now and (laughs) that like blew my mind and I had no idea of all of the different things you could do with that yeah um setup is definitely something that I am an amateur at and I'm very lucky that (laughs) I've had people around me that understand what's going on and have been able to help because it does like if you have a feel for what's going on on your skis and your boots and stuff it makes such a difference for how you can communicate with your serviceman and how you can change your skis whereas someone like me I don't have a lot of like feeling (laughs) Um, like I don't necessarily feel what's going on um, in my boots and on my skis so it's really important for me to have someone who can like watch my video and say like, Oh, okay, maybe we try this. And um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. You don't think about it that yeah. much when you're just trying to survive skiing. But yeah. 
We didn't even it talk about edges one. too. God, I don't even know like oh, how sharp edges. your edges are. Like, are they gonna cut your finger or? <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed, they will cut <laughs> you. I know. Yeah. I um, yeah. You learned that the hard way at least once. How sharp yeah. they are. Um. Okay. I want to quickly circle back. I know you have a workout soon, but you were talking about at the beginning, like when you introduced yourself, you said you're with SM SMS T two two T. Yeah. <laughs> What's your team called? SMS T2. Yeah. Stratton okay. High School T2. It's sponsored okay. by the T2 Foundation, which is now considered the World Cup Dreams okay. Foundation. And you, so you train with them, but you also are with the U.S. national team in Europe right now. Yes. So I, in the summer and fall, I'm, I'm on the SMS team. Um, mm. I'm actually not on the U.S. national team. And so, like, in the summer and fall, there are often national team training camps that I'm not invited to. And okay. so I'm with my club team all the time. And then in the winter, I'm here representing the USP team, but I get zero funding from them right. and um, kind of support from them. <laughs> okay. We're in very similar situations. <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then if I go back and race domestically at any point in the year, then I'll be with my club team and wearing that race suit. Okay. So do like athletes like Jesse and um, Julia or Rosie, do those athletes also train with their clubs at all? Or do they only do us team stuff? No, they, um, the club system is very strong in the U S it's not the same with every country throughout like Europe or, or World Cup skiing but in the U.S. Um, I think I'm trying to think if there's any World Cup athlete who is not affiliated with a club if they aren't then they are affiliated with a college and okay. so they have at least some sort of domestic support team that they can work with in the summer and fall or if they go back and race in the winter cool that's um that's something that I have been so curious about because Alpine is just not really yeah. that way. Like obviously if I went back to Whistler and asked to train, I would be welcomed and I would be allowed to, but the level of training is so drastically different from our clubs mm -hmm. to our national teams that it's hard to imagine um, like a national team athlete choose it or going back and training or like working with their club. Whereas Nordic, it seems like it's so high, like the level is so high within the clubs and like the coaches and stuff that you can kind of, it's, yeah, it's interchangeable a little bit. Correct yeah, me if I'm I wrong, also, I'm assuming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, you're right. And I will say that a lot of the training that we will do will look the same whether you're Jesse or myself or a college or super tour athlete or okay. even a high schooler um but the length of it will maybe vary like the duration right. of the workout or the speed of the workout can vary okay. and so there are times like in the summer we have a really great group of athletes on our club team and then we also will have summer guests who you know they're college kids who are just going to come for two and a half months to train with us and mm -hmm. 
they don't necessarily do every all of the intervals that we'll do or they won't do them at the same speed as us or you know there are days when Jesse just completely drops me and it's like yeah there is a there is a level there is a difference in level there um but we can still warm up together we're still doing the same structured workouts and we can still do bits and pieces of it together that makes sense I think that yeah our training it's just like it's so um venue dependent and I mean obviously like working out you just need a gym whatever but um like the higher level you are generally you get a higher level trainer and you have someone who is more ski specific rather than just kind of a general trainer when you're younger um it's really interesting that's like a cool difference for me and I I almost wish that Alpine had that kind of like commitment at the club level to be like Mm -hmm. okay we want to be like a high enough standard that national team athletes feel like they can like come back and you know be a part of it I guess Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I might get there I think people are taking it the clubs are taking it more seriously now especially in like the U.S. and yeah sort of Canada (laughs) yeah (laughs) hopefully Hopefully. Um, I mean yeah I think I think a lot of the clubs that we have are like my club is like half of the team are on the national team also. And so they are all home in the summer and it's national team members that are, you know, it's kind of like they bring the intensity and we try to match it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, I really, I want to do another episode with you about just like, the race day experience because I think it'd be really cool I mean I haven't raced yet that's the crazy part (laughs) that is crazy I think it would be cool to have kind of a comparison of like a step-by-step a day in the life of like what goes into a race day because I guarantee like they're so different yeah yeah also you guys race for like an hour and I race for like one minute Well, sometimes we sprint and then that's like three minutes. So <laughs> still, <laughs> still three times as long. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like that would be cool. We could maybe, maybe once we're a little bit more in like the thick of race season, we do a mm-hmm. follow-up episode and we, we really get into the nitty gritty of racing. Once your running cough really comes in strong. Yes, exactly. I'm waiting for it. Yeah. You haven't coughed like at all. I'm impressed. Well, I've muted myself while you're chatting and then I cough. <laughs> oh gosh. I like run up the stairs and have a cough. So <laughs> different world. Um, well, okay. Well, so if a cross country skier is listening to this episode, um, what would you tell them about your upcoming races and what you're looking forward to this season? In Alpine? yeah um what I I'm really looking forward to the fact that I have now been to every venue that I'm racing at this year which is the first time since moving to Europe um Mm -hmm. and for downhill that's a big deal because every year it's the same track it's the same almost identical course set so the longer you're on the circuit the more you see 
the different tracks. So for me, that's something that I'm really excited about is being able to go to the venues and be like, okay, I know what the hill looks like beforehand, rather than just getting up there first day and having to figure it all out. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm also, we have a ton of races this year because it's not a Olympic or world champ year. So I'm just excited for the number of races we get to do. I think that's like the most fun part about the sport is actually getting to compete. (laughs) Shocker. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) What about you? Tell me, tell me what you're most excited for. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to point out one similarity, one similarity and one difference with the sports. And Hmm. the, the difference is that, um, I feel like the Alpine circuit is, it goes throughout central Europe so much Hmm. more than the Nordic circuit because we're in Scandinavia for the whole first month and then we go to Central Europe for a month and then to North America for a month and then back to Scandinavia for a month and I feel like you are in like Italy, France, and Austria all season. (laughs) Throw in Switzerland every once in a while. (laughs) Okay yep that's a good step too but I think that's kind of different and I know you guys do go up to Kitzbühel in Norway too but um that's like a little blip on yeah, <laughs> the like grand view of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the similarity to that is the benefit of knowing a course, whether that's Alpine mm-hmm. or cross country. I think that that can be so beneficial to the racer. And so the more you get to know the courses on the circuit, the more comfortable you can be going into them and the more of like a, a game plan or strategy you can make too and I think that's super super helpful um so I could imagine that once you're like 45 minutes into your pain cave and you know what's coming (laughs) definitely would probably love it you (laughs) love knowing that like the biggest hill you still have to go up (laughs) oh god yeah for us it's like okay this jump is not as big as you think it's going to be or this turn is going to pull you a lot more than you think it's going to <laughs> oh I could have used your downhilling today we we had these s turns in the middle of the race and well it was actually 1k in and then 6k because we do two laps right. um and the first lap I'm bid four so I'm the fourth person to go down it and um skied them all week like at speed doing intervals prepping for it and today I don't know what they did to the grooming but they were and we had race wax on too so it was so much faster and I'm like appalled with myself with (laughs) the amount that I had to skip around the last corner and I was like almost in the woods and I was like Steph where you at I need some tips here (laughs) definitely do not put me on a pair of Nordic skis and then ask me to turn I like almost killed myself when we came to watch you race last year and I tried going down a hill they are so scary (laughs) oh not for me (laughs) um what are you most excited for I will say (laughs) I am most excited for the Minneapolis World Cup it's the first time that the U.S. is going to be hosting a cross-country World Cup since before the Salt Lake City Olympics and so um been over two decades and it was supposed to happen in 2020 and the world shut down like three days before the race was scheduled and um I'm also from Minneapolis and so that's like my home course I know that course I've got there a plan go. to go into that course <laughs> um yes. and so 
I'm just really excited for that. It's February 16th and 17th. If anyone wants to come out, they should come oh, watch. So um, yeah, I'm very excited. And like all of my, that support system that I was talking about, they're going to be yeah. there. And I'm pretty excited for that. <laughs> That's going to be so cool. I am jealous. I want to race in Canada. I miss it. <laughs> yeah. Or the US. Really anywhere in North America would be great. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because they used to have a Lake Louise downhill, right? And then what yeah. happened? Um, it's just there's not a lot of money for racing in Canada, sadly. So yeah. yeah. But they have a the first GS Canadian GS World Cups in um Chamblon today and tomorrow. So like- I am like so, happening now right <laughs> yeah in like 45 minutes I'm so excited <laughs> I just watching the hype that those GS girls are finally getting like they yeah. yeah skiers in Canada and the U.S. deserve more hype and it's so cool to yeah. finally see these girls getting like TV time and media time and like being able to show how baddie they are like yeah. they are yeah anyways I'm really excited <laughs> if you get to help. love that Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's very exciting. Well, uh, I'm always cheering for the Canadian Alpine team, specifically the women's downhill team, <laughs> aka you, <laughs> number one, your squad. So, yeah. yeah, I'm always cheering for you too, and Thanks. the U.S. girls. I love the glitter and the fun that you guys bring to it. I think it's very special. Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. is. Um. Well, that was a fun crossover episode. Hopefully our Nordic and Alpine listeners enjoyed and learned something. And if you didn't, well, (laughs) we'll try again next time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'll be so curious. I learned a lot. So (laughs) I know you. (laughs) Okay. If you made it all the way to here, congrats. That was a really long episode, but thank you so much for listening and supporting and I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.